Welcome to the Gym Wits Podcast. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, aka Chef Sonic. And we are the Gym Wits. So I'm gonna just gotta just got an alert on so I'm gonna tell you this because you're an MMA fan. So if any of our listeners are listeners are MMA fans, great. If you're not, you, you may want to fast forward like a minute or two while we discuss this, but it looks like the UFC and one championship are making a trade. Uh, you know, huh. And again, this is weird. breaking news from Ariel Hawani. So he's, uh, you know, he obviously is is a fairly trustworthy source, and he says that they're trading Dimitri, close to trading Demetrius Johnson for Ben Askren. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know any of the details. I'm just seeing this, but it's like it, it, at least you know the source is, is a, a legitimate source. It's not like you're you're getting it from some random. It, it's hey. very weird. I think on, they might be dissolving the 125 um, pound title, um, which might make sense for the UFC. But yeah, so uh, it's yeah maybe, but it's 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 weird on many levels. First off, DJ is one of the the, the greatest of all time, mm-hmm. right? And just to sort of trade him is is almost a little upsetting that they would do that. Right, someone who was really so spectacular, and quite frankly, you know, I guess the the last fight, yeah, I'm I'm fine with with with, with uh, Henry Cejudo winning that fight, even though I thought it was a draw, or and or I didn't like, the, I really didn't like the title changing hands on a fight like that. It was so close, and Henry was awesome, no doubt about it. And I don't really have a, I guess I don't have a problem with him winning, but if. if DJ never really lost the fight, and he won so many in a row. He was so dominant, and yeah, he didn't have a, a personality, and that's why they, they want to get rid of him, because he's not charismatic. Well, although, ironically, I think they say the same. Well, I guess Ben Askren is more his style is not the most fan-friendly. Well, now, that, that's, that's interesting, because first off, Dana, there was no reason for Ben Askren not to be in the UFC just in general, he was—he's a, a mega talent. Yeah, he could be boring, but he's. The idea is, yeah, I know it's sports and sports slash sports entertainment, but if it if you are legit, you want to have the best talent. And to to you know, Askren is an incredibly talented wrestler, and he's just he's really good. So it seemed ridiculous that the UFC never signed him in the first place. And it's also a little weird because they could probably afford to buy him out of the contract without trading DJ. Now, look, I don't know the, the legalities of it, and I don't know what 1FC, what they want to hold on to, but it, the I, whole thing just seems seems very weird I think to it, me. it makes sense in a way. I think 1FC is trying to, you know, they're, they're, I, you know, I don't know what their aspirations are as far as in the U.S. market. I guess it makes the most sense if you're, if you're right about them got, dissolving the, the you, 125 Yeah, you have a situation where people just, Mighty Mouse is probably, you know, if not the most dynamic fighter in the sport, he's one of the most dynamic and one of the most interesting fighters in the sport. But I think, especially in the U.S., like just smaller fighters just don't sell. No matter how good you are, no matter your personality, people just don't seem to care if you're if you're that size. And uh, I think he'll he'll probably have a lot more success um, in one as you know as far as um, and I think I don't think it's one FC anymore. It's like one whatever, but whatever the case is, yeah, whatever it is, yeah. They he um, he'll probably he may have more success there where you know maybe fans appreciate his his skills more um appreciate him as a fighter more so i think that in in some ways maybe it's a good move for him at the same time for askren i think it makes sense for the ufc you know it's weird because you'd think that between askren and mighty mouse of course 
fans would love to see Mighty Mouse more. But I think Askren, because he's bigger, because he presents a real legit challenge to guys at, at a number, a couple of weight classes potentially, um, he'll probably, like, you know, the, it's like the kind thought of like, is immediately, I don't, can he get down to 155? Maybe, maybe like not. The, but right. Connor and the thought yeah. of him against um, either Ferguson or Khabib yeah. with his wrestling pedigree makes for an interesting fight yeah. and as we know a lot of times when you get two really high level grapplers it turns into a and striking another, match another interesting dynamic is his teammate Tyrone Woodley is is uh, is the champion so you know you're not gonna he's not gonna fight Tyrone Woodley I don't think he's gonna fight him of course so. he would I don't know about that. Almost every look, everyone will. If you get a chance to fight for a title, in very, very rare. I don't know about that. They're very, teammates. very rare. In, yeah, but that you know that doesn't matter. That, that doesn't mean they'll have animosity. But look, you get a chance to fight for a title. You fight your friend. You fight your teammate, and you know you have respect, right? There are very, very few instances. Like people always say it, but when when push comes to shove, when there's all that money and all that prestige, you'll do it. You know, it's part of being a professional. I. I don't know that I agree with that. Look, but even yeah. e- they even a- asked uh, Cormier if he would fight Kane, and I, I, I I'm I'm he, I don't know if he I'm won't. wrong. No, no, you're wrong. I thought he He's, said no, he, he would. That no. he loves Kane, but as professional, no, no he literally doing. went down the light heavyweight just to not fight. Kane I know for that the title. too, but no, but, that, that's exactly what happened. All right, no, all so. right. So there are some instances. I thought I maybe I that's not what I heard, and I just miss uh, just uh, misheard. You know what you were referencing because I had heard that too, but I I thought that he, he had, no, I'm pretty he, sure he never said that. I mean, it could be wrong, but all right. Well, okay, now we'll get to fitness. Right, we so, could so, talk about that for hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We could talk about that for hours. So, uh, what do we have going on today? Okay, so we have Shane Dowd, who is a flexibility and mobility uh, teacher. And we know it's, um, we've talked about it in the past. We've had other guests on that, that talk about this. But it's interesting because Shane is really an expert in the field. And he works with a lot of athletes as well as regular people to help them with their flexibility, their mobility, sometimes pre-injury, sometimes after. And it's excellent stuff. You guys need to know it. Um, because there's a good chance it will affect you, especially if you're playing sports or if or if you're sitting down in an office for too long. Definitely stuff you guys got to know. So enjoy the interview with Shane. Hey, everyone. We are here with Shane Dowd. How's everything, Shane? Everything is great. How are you guys? Very well. Now, Shane is a flexibility and mobility teacher, and we know that that's certainly been in the sort of the, the, the spotlight as it's very important for a lot of reasons. I'm definitely curious as to how you got into that. But uh, first, we always ask about your background. How did you get into fitness? If you played sports or you were into exercise growing up, or maybe you found it later in life? Yeah, so I started out as an athlete. I played soccer in high school and in college and pretty much played every other sport under the sun, but soccer was my primary sport. And uh, I kind of got into health and fitness sort of like many high school boys do, which is basically to look better and to be buffer and to get girls and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then slowly it evolved over time into uh, things like just being interested in how the human body performs and human biomechanics and um, training athletes and things like that. So after college, I studied nutrition and kinesiology in college, shifted to um, becoming a strength and conditioning coach and a personal trainer after college. And... Um, and then eventually, after a series of kind of 
injuries that I dealt with, I got into the whole world of flexibility and mobility and physical therapy and healing injuries and things like that. So it's just kind of been a progression like that. So do, do, are, do the majority of your clients kind of re- at this point, are they more athletes? Are they more people dealing with kind of post rehab um, issues? Or like, do you have a specific type that you currently work with? Um, I definitely cater a little bit to the athletic population because that's more my background. But um, I have a program that helps people with hip impingement or a condition called femoral acetabular impingement. And those people can range very, very widely from like 18-year-old athletes to like 60-year-old inactive grandmas. So there's a wide spectrum of people that help with that issue. But in general, what I teach flexibility and mo- who I teach flexibility and mobility to is largely ath- athletes, CrossFitters, weightlifters, bodybuilders. Got it. So now, I guess you mentioned flexibility, and I think one of the more you know, we, we always hear kind of about flexibility, mobility, and range of motion, um, and they're often conflated with each other. So maybe if you can t- take a moment to kind of explain to our listeners kind of what the difference is between range of motion, flexibility, and mobility, and kind of how they're different and how it's important to understand the distinction between those. Sure. Yeah, I like to keep things pretty simple for people because most people are interested in kind of the nerdy science of it all. So I kind of um, explain it like flexibility is just a joint's kind of passive range of motion, and mobility is more like flexibility with motor control. So it's flexibility that you control. It's ranges that you can control. Um, so it's flexibility plus motor control and, uh, an illustration of why that can be different is you can have like, say one time I was working with a very flexible female yogi who could do the splits was just super bendy and flexible everywhere. But then I asked her to, you know, do an overhead squat with a light bar and she didn't have the motor control to know where to position her, her, her ribs, her pelvis, so she ended up not being able to even do a full range of motion squat with a bar overhead because she was lacking the mobility or the motor control to control her flexibility. So she had all this passive range of motion, but she couldn't control it, and therefore her mobility was not that great. So that's kind of – So I often say this, that in fitness and exercise, everything like that, there isn't really anything that's completely new. In certain sports and certain types of uh, workouts, people knew, knew about flexibility and mobility, but what changes is how aware people are of it. So when Ryan and I were coming up, yeah, we knew that it was important to be flexible and, and, and you know mobile to an extent, but it, it wasn't nearly on the same level. So at what point did you notice that the whole concept of flexibility, mobility, and I guess sort of being more functional in in life with these things, when did that come into the public eye and why do you think it came into the public eye? Um, It'd be hard to pinpoint an exact timeline. I, I know if I think back about my own journey as a young strength and conditioning coach, um, I remember guys like, Eric Cressy and Mike Robertson and uh, Bill Hartman, I think, and other people were kind of popularizing what at the time was sort of like, oh, this is new. It was like foam rolling and like uh, I think Eric Cressy had some magnificent mobility DVDs and some people were starting to talk about self-myofascial release, foam rolling and stuff like that, basic stretching. 
Um, but I think it started to really, really explode in popularity when Kelly Starrett came on the scene. Um, and he started making, he's a, uh, doctor of physical therapy, runs a CrossFit gym. If people haven't heard of him, um, really smart guy. And, and he started, um, making a video every day about, about mobility topics. And, uh, I think he was at least definitely one of the big catalysts. And I'm not sure when it started. It was several years ago now. Um, but I think he really started popularizing kind of mobility in general. I mean, gym, gymnasts and martial artists and yogis have been stretching for long, 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 long time. But mobility specifically has started to become more popular, at least in my eyes, around the time that Kelly Starrett started uh, talking about it a lot. And then so many other people have started as well. So when it comes to kind of increasing mobility, um where do you see kind of athletes, do you see athletes kind of making kind of common mistakes by athletes in general and by coaches even, and kind of what should they be focused on when they, you know, when they're intending on kind of increasing um, their mobility? Yeah, there's several kind of mistakes that people make and, and it kind of depends on where on the spectrum you are. Some people are already naturally so flexible and mobile that they really don't need to do almost any. In fact, what they need more is kind of like strengthening, stability work, motor control, stuff like that. And if they start stretching just because it feels good or just because someone told them they should, they might become hypermobile and can actually increase their risk of injury. So it's not like everyone in the world needs to be flexible and mobile, but a lot of athletes are on the other side of the spectrum, which is very stiff, hypomobile, not mobile, and they don't even have the adequate joint mobility to get into the positions they're trying to get into, like say an overhead press or a, a full range of motion back squat um, or something. So the question then comes, if you don't have enough mobility to achieve positions safely for your sport or for training for your sport, what's your plan to um, achieve those positions? How are you going to get into those positions? And it's usually some combination of stretching and massage and motor control training and uh, and people need different proportions of each i think that it used to be people were not doing enough mobility work period as a general rule of thumb and then now the like like many things the pendulum has swung far in the opposite direction and you get many people spending 30 minutes rolling around on a foam roller and not getting hot and sweaty before they work which is also kind of a mistake so it's either people are not doing mobility work and they need to or they're doing too much mobility work focus on like the tech in the gym and stuff like that and they're emphasizing it too too much and the other thing yeah now so when it comes to kind of stretching and, and mobility work is there especially for an athlete i think we see, we see different kinds of stretching kind of have your, your 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 you know old school kind of static static stretching dynamic stretching all kind all kinds of different protocols is there any one kind of protocol that's best for an athlete um, and specifically, I guess, if an athlete is, is having range of motion issues, you know, let's say it's a, a martial artist that's having issues with, with the height of their kick, you know, where should, their, should the focus lie on the technique and the mobility for that movement? Should it focus more on what muscles are involved? Like, what, what should the focus be when you're dealing with kind of certain issues kind of related to a sport? Um, it's highly context dependent. So it's going to involve some degree of, of Tissue work, meaning self-massage, myofascial release. Um, so some 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 amount of tissue work, some amount of stretching, and some amount of strengthening and motor control. For example, if this martial artist is going to throw a high kick, certain muscles have to be able to fire and coordinate in unison. Leg up, 
So he's got to have some strength and motor control there. But if his muscles in his groin and adductors are too dense, then they can't just be stretched through. So they need some kind of massage in there. Um, and foam rolling your kind of deep adductor attachment points is not very effective. So this martial artist would need to learn which tools and which exercises specifically release the groin more. Um, and possibly maybe his adductors or his leg muscles are not dense. They're just short and have never been stretched ever. And so most, maybe he needs to stretch a little bit more. So he, he can employ a variety of stretching techniques. I don't think that there's one that's always the right tool for the job. Um, some combination of PNF stretching, you know, proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation um, is usually pretty good for athletes because it gets their brain involved and it's not just kind of passively relaxing and waiting out the tension because just laying, laying in a stretch and not moving doesn't make you move better. It sounds kind of obvious, but you'd be surprised at how many people are just passively stretching and never doing any dynamic stretches, never doing any PNF stretching, never doing any kind of um, ballistic stretching or loaded stretching or other other modalities, which all can be helpful. So it, it's very, very, very dependent, but it's some combination of massage, stretching, and strengthening. Okay, so the sort of sidebar to this is what about most people? They're like, look, I'm not an athlete. I don't need to throw a high kick. I don't need to do a complicated Olympic lift. I, I just got to go to the gym three days a week or four days a week or run a little bit. Uh, most of the time I'm in an office or at a computer. I'm just doing my regular life. What mobility issues might someone of like most of us run into and what type of stretching might be good for sort of the, the non-athlete, the non-professional fitness person? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's certain com- common things that people run into, like people start noticing their posture is slowly getting worse. I mean, this is why your grandma and grandpa look different than your mom and your dad look different than you is because gravity has taken its toll over time. So in the upper body, you've got some upper body kind of kyphosis rounded kind of turtle back going on slumped shoulders, you know, head forward head posture. So that's a pretty common thing that I think most people need to learn how to at least slow down, if not kind of improve. So that involves things like thoracic mobility work, kind of restoring some motion in your upper back, a little bit of uh, opening up of the chest so your shoulders aren't so slumped, um, getting your neck in, in a better position so that your head is actually aligned on top of your spinal column, not in front of it by several inches. So there's some kind of upper body postural issues. And then in general, most people have you know, tight hips from doing lots of sitting. I think even even the average man these days kind of knows, oh, sitting sitting all day long for years and years and years is probably not a good idea. Um, so learning some simple kind of mobility exercises for the hips um, is going to be really helpful for most people, especially if this person we're talking about, this theoretical person, is going to the gym. Because if you sit stuck in a frozen position with tight hips and bad upper body posture, and then you go into the gym and try to squat and deadlift and you know press things overhead uh if you if you push it hard enough if you're actually trying to increase the weights and you know systematically overload and maybe build strength and muscle um it's kind of like a car being getting worse and worse alignment but you're trying to drive it faster and faster and faster at some point the wear and tear will catch up to you 
So you're saying that if you're exercising, it's even more important for the for sort of the, for the layperson to really have their mobility, the flexibility in order. Yeah, I think so. And and I like the kind of analogy of a car. Like if you if you want to treat your body like a car and you only are ever going to drive that car 20 to 30 miles an hour, meaning you're not going to play sports, you're not going to work out in the gym, you're just going to just try to walk around and live a very simple, not movement-filled life, uh, you probably can live most of your life without too much problems occurring. Of course, it's not going to be as comfortable and pain-free as it could be if you just included a little exercise and a little stretching. But theoretically, that person that's only driving their body 20 to 30 miles an hour doesn't need to tune up the car that much. But as soon as you start driving, trying to drive the car 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, you better be tuning that car up more so than someone who's driving slow all the time. Cool. So, so now one of your change here a little bit. Um, one of your specialties is uh, corrective exercise. You're a corrective exercise specialist. So, can you tell us a little bit about kind of what exactly is a corrective exercise specialist and um, why, you know, it's definitely some, an aspect of fitness, I think, that, that is overlooked. And so maybe you can tell us about what it is and why it's really important for people and potentially for, for personal training clients to have somebody who, who at least has some experience or knowledge with it. Yeah, kind of in, in brief, I would say that a corrective exercise specialist is someone who knows specific exercises that can undo sort of the damage of daily life or undo some of the, the damage that almost all of us have accrued from old injuries or sports or this thing or that thing. So it's, um, it's just someone who can kind of help you uh, counteract some of the uh, negative things that have accrued in your life. It's not, it's not a physical therapist per se. It's just, I would say it's kind of like a personal trainer plus. Like it's like a personal trainer who has a little bit more uh, a wider scope of knowledge of they're not just going to put you through the same generic um, strengthening exercises that they, they put everyone through because they might be able to tell that you have specific needs that sort of need to be um, brought up or strengthened before you can get into certain exercises. So it's kind of like in between a physical therapist and a personal trainer is where I would place a corrective exercise specialist, someone who can help kind of bridge that gap. So, what would be an example of a corrective exercise, maybe, and if you could create a, a little context for it? Sure. And also, does this start to um, border on prehab? Is are they is this related to uh, like a, a prehab exercise? Could they do they go hand in hand, or are they separate issues? Yeah, they can be kind of lumped in a, in a similar category. Um, one really kind of popular example would be that. Um, I think definitely more fitness professionals know this. I'm not sure how many, um, just average Joes and Janes know this, but we all in, in the fitness professional world know that sitting in general tightens your hip flexors and kind of turns off your glutes. So people have called this gluteal amnesia or your butt stop work stops working or your glutes won't fire or something like that. And this can cause problems if you then put this person who has really short, tight hip flexors and an underactive but um, into like a squat or something because they'll start to use other muscles to compensate. So they might arch their back excessively or shift all the weight onto their quads or they just won't use their butt um, and therefore they won't be squatting in a symmetrical 
kind of balanced way. So a corrective exercise prescription for that would be basically lengthen what's short, which is the hip flexor. So you might put them in a basic hip flexor stretch. You might do a little bit of glute reactivation or maybe you include some barbell hip thrusts or some kind of very glute dominant um, movement into their routine until you start noticing that they have a more balanced movement pattern in the squat and then they don't need that corrective exercise anymore. So the goal is not to like do all these, you know, namby pamby piddly little exercises all the time and never do the big hard stuff like squats and deadlifts. The point is just to make sure that you're doing the big stuff correctly. And if you're not, then you apply a little bit of prehab, a little bit of corrective exercise just to kind of bring things back in balance. It's it's kind of like a bodybuilder who notices like, you know, maybe their chest is a little smaller than normal. And so if they just keep bench pressing, they're not going to build their chest. And so they do some isolated exercises for their for their chest to kind of bring everything into symmetry. That's kind of what corrective So great. So that's an awesome answer. I think it really helps really helps kind of um clarify kind of what it is and, and the importance of it. So now you mentioned earlier, and I wanted to talk a little bit about this, um, the FIA, FIA impingement. So can you explain kind of what it is and um, you know why it's something that, that people should be aware of? Sure. Yeah, um, FAI stands for femoral acetabular impingement, which just means hip impingement. And um, it's something that I struggled with um, several years ago, and this is it's kind of what led me into this whole exploration of rehab and prehab and correct exercise and flexibility and mobility because my body was such a mess that I had to do something. So I, I tend to get obsessive when I get interested in something. So I would got way into it and did hours and hours a day of corrective exercise and stretching and mobility and all that stuff. Um, and then I started, um, talking about it and making videos about it. Um, as did my business partner, Matt Shu, um, who's got a great, uh, business upright health and a great gym in San Francisco. Um, but we both started talking about this FAI stuff and noticed that there was an unusually large interest in it. And, um, and it turns out that, um, more and more people in recent years have been getting the diagnose diagnosis from, um, physicians and doctors that they have this hip impingement problem. They've got hip pain. Um, and, um, and so we just started making more and more videos about it. I started sharing more and more about what helped me kind of overcome it without surgery. Um, and it's really taken off. And so we now um, help a lot of people around the world um, that are dealing with hip problems, but specifically um, hip impingement, femoral acetabular impingement problems, which also come hand in hand very often with things like labral tears and um, all kinds of other problems. So that's uh, kind of what FAI is. What, what, are there any kind of signs that somebody might be, you know, dealing with it? Or, you know, whether maybe common types of pain or areas that they may may feel that, like that, where somebody can kind of identify maybe this maybe this is something that should I should uh, should get checked out. Yeah, there's there's I mean it can manifest in quite a few different ways, which is why it can be so kind of confounding for people. Because for me, for example, it showed up as like recurring. Uh, SI joint problems on my right side. So I was like, why is my right SI joint always getting flared up when I squat or when I do Olympic lifts or something like that? Um, and it turns out 
that my hip didn't have full range of motion to get into a deep squat position, and therefore my low back was hiking up and compensating, um, and I was kind of shifting away from the problem, trying to avoid it. But it was very, very subtle, but it was still enough to kind of keep tweaking and injuring my back. Um, other people experience pain in the groin, pain in the hip crease when they squat, um, um, pain when running, pain when sitting in the glutes. It can show up, and it's not like there's one area where pain manifests. It can literally be in the groin, in the glutes, in the low back. Um, but often it comes with a uh, limited range of motion in, in that hip, the one that's sort of being the problem child. Um, and so people can go to a physical therapist and get kind of scanned, and they'll do different tests like a, a Faber test or a fader test. Um, there's all these kind of specialized tests that sort of tell you, okay, there's something going on in the hip. Um, and then, of course, you can get x-rays and MRIs eyes, which um, will tell you a little bit about how the bone is and how the labrum is. But the big danger with all of those sort of um, tests is that almost everyone shows up with some level of abnormality in their bone structure, say. Um, but it doesn't correlate that well with pain and movement restrictions. So for example, myself, I have what's called cam morphology in my hip. I have a labral tear. I have a cyst in my hip. There's everything wrong in my hip. But I can do the splits, and it's because I've worked on the muscles and the motor control and my movement quality very diligently over a long period of time. And therefore, even though I have, quote, bad bones, um, it's, it doesn't mean that bones are the only factor in hip health. And so that's kind of what we talk about in the FI Fix. Um, we say that there's a lot of other factors that, that are involved in hip health not just the bone structure. So while you can get tested by a physical therapist or x-ray or MRI, I would highly, highly caution people to um, don't take it as the end-all, be-all, like this is a death sentence if something bad shows up because there's many, many, many people who have horrible-looking hips when they get imaged, but they have no pain or restriction. So um, it's good to focus on what you have control over, which is your muscles and your motor control. And then if you've maximized your muscles and your motor control, meaning you've gotten flexible and mobile, you've softened up muscles, you've stretched them, you've strengthened things that need to be strengthened, and you still have problems, then of course maybe you consider something like surgery, but it definitely shouldn't be the first option. Cool. Now, um, yeah, I guess that was, that, that was going to be the uh, the question. So now how do you – I guess how do you approach it with the, with the client that is dealing with it as a trainer? Let's say – it, it's a situation where surgery maybe is not on the table. Um, how? What's your approach to a client uh, dealing with that, um, with an FAI? Um, first thing is to kind of find out um, where where they're restricted, where they have pain. Find out where they want to be. So you kind of find out where they are and where they want to be, um, and then you start kind of running them through different screens um, and find out where they're most restricted. So for example, like checking their hip internal and external rotation or flexion or checking like full body movements. If there's someone who needs to like squat and lunge and cut and move, find out where they hurt, where they're restricted, where there's pain. And then you take them through a series of exercises in those main categories we talked about before, which is you show them how to massage various muscles in their hips, show them how to stretch various muscles, show them how to strengthen various muscles, able to 
down uh, what are like the best external for that person. Usually it's a little bit of a troubleshooting process because um, it's a very complicated issue and, and no two people are exactly the same, but we have found very good success with people being in either one of two categories. Either they're very not flexible, very not mobile, and those type of people need to do a lot of tissue work and stretching, or they're hyper mobile, they're hyper flexible, and they still have pain and problems. Those kind of people we tend to um, give more stability, motor control, glute and core strengthening and control, learning kind of how to subtly control the position of your pelvis in all positions and movements, uh, retrain your deep core muscles and stuff like that. So you can either be very stiff and tight or very flexible and you'll get a slightly different approach, but it will always be some combination of tissue work, stretching and re-education or strengthening. So we call it kind of the TSR approach to this, the TSR system. So now would this, would this approach be similar to the way you might work with a client that doesn't have uh, a hip impingement, but might be at risk for one. Um, so you're almost trying to prevent um, them from getting it. Would, uh, would you sort of approach it the same way, or the yeah, different exercise in a different way? Okay. Yeah, it's it's still those kind of three categories. Like if someone, you know, sh- shows up to me as a trainer. I'm say I'm a trainer in a, dr- a gym, and someone says, you know, I want to get in shape, I want to exercise, and you know, I take them through an evaluation to kind of see, you know, what what is the alignment of this particular car that's showing up, and I find out, wow, they've got super stiff ankles, super stiff hips, terrible posture, no shoulder mobility. Um, we're going to have to do something to increase their range of motion. Otherwise we can only do the, do exercises with like half range of motion. Otherwise it's going to be unsafe because they're going to compensate somewhere. Um, so the approach is basically the same. Um, but we don't have to deal with the pain component if they, if they don't have that yet. Cool. All right. So I have a, an out of left field question you because um, you're a former athlete, you work with a lot of athletes. We see so many injuries in professional sports nowadays. So there's, there's sure there's a bunch of reasons for this. First off, the, the science and the technology is better. So they're aware of more injuries, they're aware of more things that can go wrong. It's also the athletes are enormous investments from the from franchises, so they want to make sure they get the most out of their investments. So if there's any risk of anything, they'll they go through x-rays and MRIs and everything, and they'll sit them and make sure that they don't play just to, to not risk uh, maybe making an injury worse. But putting all that stuff aside, do you feel that there are more injuries in professional sports than there used to be? Maybe, uh, or did people just, did the athletes just used to play through injuries or would take more risks? Do you think there are more today? Is it possibly due to training or what do you think? What's your, what's your opinion on this matter? Um, I mean, that could be a very, very, there's, there's gotta be multiple, multiple reasons for that. I I don't follow professional sports closely enough to, to know if that's true or not. Um, but I mean, it could be, uh, you know, that. I actually, I mean, I hate to throw my own sort of like industry or field under the bus, but I do wonder if um, kind of the trend towards corrective exercise has been at the expense of just getting athletes really well conditioned for the rigors of their sport. Yeah. So, and I've touched on this a little bit earlier where I said some people 
people in the gym will, you know, spend 30 minutes on a foam roller um, and they won't get hot and sweaty. And I don't know if this is happening at the professional level or not, but it is possible that some people have kind of taken the corrective exercise, stretching, mobility thing a little too far. And they, um, athletes only have so much time to train and, um, maybe what would be more injury preventative would be just being in really great shape or conditioning your muscles to handle the eccentric load of, you know, jumping and landing better. So, um, I know some of my other kind of strength and conditioning friends, that's sort of their mindset that people are spending too much time rolling around on the cross balls and not enough time training hard. So I think that's definitely one possibility. Um, I'm sure there's many, many more, but I don't think I follow professional sports closely enough to comment. Okay. Cool. So you have a couple websites. Um, I think got, if you can tell our, tell our listeners a little bit what the different websites are, how um, how each one is used, and then you know share how people can get in touch with you. Sure, sure. Um, so we talked about the FAI Fix, which is that program about hip problems and hip impingement. So the website for that is thefaifix.com. Um, and that's specifically just two programs, the FAI Fix Basic Program and the FAI Fix for Athletes Program, which is a little bit more about if you're an athlete with hip impingement, how do you still train like an athlete, um, not lose all your gains, but also don't make them worse if, you, if you've got these specific hip problems. And we usually insist that even if you are an athlete, that you start with the basic program, just so you're familiar with kind of our basic theory and the basic exercises and then after about two months you can jump into the athletes program if you want so thefaifix.com or my other website is um kind of my main brand is gotrom.com rom r-o-m as in range of motion so gotrom and that's where you can find almost all my stuff and you can find my blog and social media and all that good stuff nice awesome shane well thank you so much for coming on the gym with Really great information to know, and hope that our, our listeners, you know, pay attention because for the athletes and just for the, for the lay people, this is you know this is this is important stuff. Yeah, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Great, thank you so much. It's so funny every time I hear something like this, and I I, I hear an expert talking about things like flexibility, mobility, you know, range of motion, injuries. I always tell myself, I'm got to start stretching. I got to do all different types of stretches. I got to do more foam rolling. I got to do all these things to make sure that I don't get injured or that I'm able to maintain uh, uh, the lifestyle that I want. Yeah, uh, and I think every year you get older, it, 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 there's more of an impetus to, to really do so. It's just hard when you're not, it's not that born hard. with it. it. It is in a way. Eh, I mean, it's not hard. If, if to, to put in... At, at the at the gym or whatever an extra 10 minutes yeah. into into extra whether it's extra stretching or mobility training stuff like that is really not that hard okay it's, so you're gonna do that right um uh, <laughs> exactly yeah. it, the, the the fact of the matter is it, it's it's just it's it's boring to me and i and so that's what i meant by it's hard i mean right? it's i didn't it, mean like it's physically but it's hard. just I mean, out of well i know i know but yeah. it, it's not that hard it's it's laziness so yeah. j- i don't think that laziness is an excuse it, it defines something as being hard it's it's not hard it's i'm being lazy both <laughs> well, yeah I'm, I'm not a lazy person but um, in this case, I am. Yeah. It's just 
I, no, I, I think, I think it's something we all need. So if you're young and you're starting to exercise, include recovery in your workouts. Like include 10 minutes where you cool down. You know, they, you know like cool down I think is important um, a few different ways. But I think the most important thing with the cool down is really just to kind of get your mind set on kind of the recovery portion and, and doing the stretching and movement. And I mean, well, that's the thing is like it, it could just be your recovery, but it could be that you need to do certain things before you work out. But, you know, definitely take care of your bodies and don't look past even if you're, you're you feel like a million bucks after workout. And you don't have to stretch. You don't have to foam roll. You don't have to do anything. Start early because you'll get to a point where your body does not want to cooperate. And I think that's one of the biggest things as a trainer that I've noticed with people is um, as you get older, you know, your fitness level and your output can can remain pretty high. Uh, you know, I have clients well, you know, well into their 50s, 60s, that 70s that, that perform at a high level. The, you know, the difference is that the body as you get older doesn't want to cooperate. And so if you don't put the time into the recovery um, and if you don't really make that a priority that's where we can see you know problems develop because you're you're not giving yourself that time to recover and then you know it's kind of as you get older you know the the output again can stay the same but then the injuries pile up and then if you can't overcome those injuries your output then diminishes so uh you know start early and just kind of keep that in mind so that as your body starts to you know you get hurt or you you know you feel a little tweak or you feel something weird you can kind of work through that without being in the situation where we're at where it's kind of like I feel a pain in my my leg and I just don't want to even though I know better it's like ah, I'll leave it alone I'll, it'll, it'll get better on its own it shouldn't do that so so you have even more opportunity than me to do these types of exercises you're at a gym every day yeah. and you get little 15 minute pockets here and there so are you going to well I should. Uh, I do stretch <laughs> when I teach, like when I do warm ups. I have, you know, sure, stretch. Yes. So I do actually stretch a couple times a day, but there are specific things I really need to be doing that I don't do. So I should. Um, and one day I will. I, I'm definitely feeling the aches and pains. And so I really should be doing it, but we'll, we'll see how that works out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess that's it. Um, as <laughs> usual, all of our stuff is on the gymwits, uh, gymwits.com, all of our you know, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Um, that's it. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, aka Chef Sonic, reminding you that truth does not sell. And we are the best. <laughs>